Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you today and we give you thanks for your goodness, for your mercy. We acknowledge that your mercies are new every morning and how desperately we need them. And so we pray for direction as a family as we travel the path you've ordained for us. We pray for wisdom, for grace, for healing. We pray, Father, for uh, the, the hope that uh, we'll be talking about today, uh, that what Christ did once for all gives us a hope of an eternity ahead. And so as we walk through this today, I pray, Father, that you would enable us to uh, uh, not try to win a debate uh, over the issues surrounding this, but to uh, equip our heart to face what's ahead in the struggles before the ultimate time of victory and this wonderful celebration that's ahead. And so I pray, Lord, that you would enable us to keep those two things in balance. So guide us as we go through our time today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we have been doing the storyline, just a, a quick review, Adam and Eve, you know, are the, uh, uh, the first uh, part of this whole wonderful process. God makes a covenant with them. They fail. Uh, Noah, then God makes a covenant with Noah, essentially repeats that. And then we come to the Tower of Babel, uh, darkness everywhere, and out of that, Abraham emerges as the hope, the promise of a land, seed, and blessing. The Abrahamic covenant is the foundation of everything that follows. 430 years later in Egypt, God raises up Moses and establishes the Mosaic covenant, sometimes called the Sinaitic covenant, sometimes the law covenant. And that is really now taking the people from being a tribe to being a nation in their own land. And then we looked at 2 Samuel 7, uh, David's uh, uh, greater son. Everything promised to Abraham is reiterated to David, and ultimately that's pointing forward to Jesus Christ. We took some time to look at the, the, the history of Israel and, uh, and Judah. Pretty disappointing. Uh, they're carried into captivity by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Uh, 400 years before Christ returns, they return and build the tabernacle, and then there are 400 silent years. We don't hear anything. And then the Messiah shows up. Uh, that we call the incarnation of Christ. He comes into this world. And then last week we looked at Acts 2 particularly and how the Spirit arrives. God's two gifts are on the one hand a Savior that's going to redeem us from our sin and the Holy Spirit that's going to live within us and empower us and enable us to live out this life that we have in Christ and give witness. And you remember in Acts 1, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be witnesses to me in Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So today, we're going to talk about the final curtain, heaven and earth merge. You know, where is all of this going? And if you read the scripture, a storyline suggests there's a beginning and a middle and an end, okay? There's going, and that's what we're looking at. And let me tell you up front, 
there are so many different views of what the end looks like. We can get in a big fight and in a big debate, you know, if you don't agree with this or that. And one of the things that I, I want to say, I was talking to a friend in, in uh, New York uh, a, a few days ago, and I said, you know, there are essentially three levels of theological commitment. And at the top level, it's the commitment to the basic truths of Scripture, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Bible you know, is the Word of God, that, that the world is a creation of God. And, and if you reject any of those things, the Trinity, then we don't see that person as being part of the family of God. Okay, but then there's a second level of things that are pretty important. I'll just mention one. Are you a credo-baptist or a pedo-baptist? You will tend to, you know, a credo is a believer's baptist. Pedo is a child being baptized. We are credo. We believe that uh, uh, children, you know, should not be uh, baptized at infancy. We believe that they should come to faith in Christ. We have many Presbyterian, Lutheran friends that, that we don't see them as non-Christians because they have a different view. We see them as Christians, but we realize we probably would work together better in different contexts, and so we'll have different churches, different denominations. And then you have a third level, and the charismatic gifts. You know, that doesn't really divide everyone. You can have different views. The same is true with eschatology. Eschaton is the last time, the end time, what's happening at the end. Where is this storyline going? And, uh, and so what I want you to know is there's lots of room here for questions, for uh, uh, sharing convictions and developing convictions I grew up in a very narrow view that if you didn't exactly hold to that view, you know, you, you were kind of on the outs. If you didn't carry a Schofield reference Bible, you know, and you didn't believe everything that Darby said, and you didn't follow the chart, the 50-foot chart across the front of the church, you were suspect. Well, uh, I, I hope you'll see we're going to approach this somewhat differently than that. So we've talked about the final curtain Heaven and earth merge. We're going to get to Revelation 21 and 22. By the way, we started at Genesis 1, and we're going to get to Revelation 22. So I want you to know I've kept my promise. We've gone through the entire Bible, maybe not everything in the entire Bible, but it gives you a sense of this is going somewhere, and everything from the beginning has always been pointing to this. Let me see if I can uh, help you understand that. We're going to look at five things today. Understanding the last days, what does that word mean? Facing death, we have some clear direction in Scripture. The great tribulation, uh, the return of the king, and the new heavens and the new earth. Now, you know, I always say each one of those demands a whole series of sessions. So we're going to do the, the kind of the, the high-level overview. Let's talk, first of all, about the last days. Okay, we use that word quite a bit. The Old Testament, the perspective is there is one central movement. You know, we see different covenants being administered, but it's essentially one movement. When you come to the New Testament... Notice the difference. It is now, there is a two-stage approach to this. The present messianic age, that's where we are. You know, we're in act four of this drama of redemption. 
And then there is the age to come. Uh, uh, what scripture is going to call the last day, singular. And so when we come to the New Testament, we have uh, both the, the, the already, Christ has already come, but he's not yet come in his fullness. So we talk about the already and the not yet, okay? And if we keep that in mind, it will help us see, you know, the, the movement of this. In the Old Testament, it would point forward to things both the present messianic age and the age to come, and they didn't always distinguish them. So sometimes it looked like the same thing. And you can go to Old Testament passages and make it sound like, well, it's all together. Well, it's kind of looking like a, a mountain range. You know, you see two mountains and you don't realize there's three or four in between. That's what's happening. And I tell you, God is not going to make this boring. You know, it is going to be amazing what happens as this comes to its consummation. We may not have got it right, but when it's all over, we're going to say, God did it right. You know, <laughs> I'm glad God did it his way and not my way, okay? So when we talk about last days, we, we need to think about fulfillment and consummation. I want to distinguish those two terms, okay? The Old Testament constantly is pointing to Christ. Christ is the Messiah, okay? And so you go to uh, uh, Isaiah 40 through 48, you know, and we have constantly Isaiah 53, of course, as it follows from that, pointing forward, their hope is the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. And so everything in Scripture is always eschatological. It's always looking to what God is going to do, and that was the coming of the Messiah. So that's why when Jesus came, it was angels, it was stars, it was all kinds of things that were happening, and we call that fulfillment. All of the promises that were made along the way, particularly in the covenants, they find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That's the basic theme of the Gospel of Matthew, that everything the Old Testament pointed to has come to fulfillment. The New Testament now, and we're part of that, points to the return of Christ, the coming of Christ in the Incarnation, the return of Christ in power and great glory, it's going, to be a, uh, you know, it's going to be an amazing thing to see. We call that the consummation. So we have fulfillment, consummation. Christ came, that fulfills that, but we're waiting for the consummation. Think in terms of engagement and marriage, you know, the, the wedding, the, the, the honeymoon, the, the consummation of this, that's what God's going to do. And he uses the very words that we use in marriage to describe that. So let me give you three key terms that you're going to see used again and again. The parousia, uh, that is the presence, the coming, the arrival. It had the idea the parousia was when a, uh, a general conquered you know, an army and they marched into the city and, and when they got a half a mile or a mile outside the city, all the city would come out and join them as they went together. That was the parousia, the arrival. And so throughout the New Testament, we're constantly given hope. You know what? 
This is not the end. What you see around you, this is not the end. There's going to return, I, I say that over and over again, you know, in power and in great glory. You know, when I was younger, we did a lot of songs about the return of Christ. You know, uh, and when our when our kids were little, I don't know if Gretchen still remembers this, I would sing, Jesus is coming soon. You know, uh, I won't sing it for you. I'll spare you the grief. But I would sing that to our kids. We rarely sing about that much anymore. And, and we've lost something of this parousia. We want to be with Jesus Christ. We don't want to just know about him, learn about him, study about We want to be with him. That, that's the point of all of this. That's what the parousia is. 1 Thessalonians 4, we're going to look at that in a bit, so I'm not going to that text. And then there is the apocalypse. The book of Revelation is the apocalypse. It's the unveiling. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, running into 2 Thessalonians. It's all about this. And again, uh, uh, those are passages that really you need to sink your teeth into. We're going to look at them in just a little bit. And then there is the epiphany. I love this passage in Titus 2. Remember years ago there was a speaker at a conference that got sick and couldn't come, and they asked me if I would fill in for a couple of the slots that he had, and I did this passage from Titus 2.13. You know, uh, waiting for the blessed hope, I'm giving the actual term, the manifestation of the glory of the great King and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now, that's the word, the epiphany, that sometimes is used, it simply means uh, the phino is the word to show, and epi is to just spread it everywhere. You know, and so the, the, uh, uh, the, some churches call the incarnation the epiphany, you know, when Jesus came. Uh, and, but that's what it means, his appearance. He's come in one form, but he's coming in a, a powerful form, the lion of the tribe of Judah, to be sure. Now, here's what's important to understand. The last days, notice the, the S on the end, the last days began at the coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, now understand all of the things in the Old Testament are pointing to the last days. We tend to get fused, confused with that. And we put all of this yet in the future. But when you look at the New Testament, you're going to understand that the last days have already begun the last day, singular, if you look in Scripture, that's going to take place at the return of Christ. You know, And so if you're not conscious of that, you can kind of get those two things confused. Are we in the last days? Yes. Are we at the last day? Not yet. You know, We may soon be approaching it. We're not sure, but it's, it's not here yet. And so this is an important phrase. We are living in the already of the last days. The last days have already come with Jesus coming to earth and the not yet of the last day. It's not yet. Everything is not yet here. And so when you think about last days, you need to think in terms of the movement that we've seen throughout. You notice it's not just static things. It's not like something happened there and then something totally unrelated. 
You notice how all of this flows together because God had one purpose from the end and ultimately it's going, about, it's going to be about magnifying himself and magnifying the glory and the mercy of Jesus Christ in redemption. So, are we living in the last days? Well, yes. The day of salvation has come. Uh, again, I, I've sent the notes out to you. You can look up the passages. We won't have time to do that. But the reality is Christ coming, the day of salvation has come. It's here. And so I, I love the passage in Hebrews. Once for all at the end of the age, he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Once for all. That's the day of salvation. Second Corinthians 6.2 sets it out clearly. The kingdom has come. Uh, and again, that's controversial. There's some people who say, well, he offered it, but it was rejected, and it's taken back, and when he comes back, he's going to reestablish the kingdom. Well, you have the passages, if I, with the finger of God, if I, with the Spirit of God, cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Paul says we're translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And so here becomes part of the confusion. We see those passages where it talks about we're part of that. Then we see those other passages talk about when the kingdom comes, you know, in its consummated form. You know, and so read the Bible with that sense of distinguishing between those two things. The Spirit has come. You know, we looked at that last week. And now the Spirit of God, uh, I, I love what it said in Joel. These are the things, when they said to Peter, you're drunk, he said, no, these are the very things Joel was talking about. I'm going to pour out my Spirit in the last days, and yet there's still, we don't have all of the Spirit. What do we have? We have the down payment. You know, we have the arabone is the Greek word. We have the, 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 the down payment and it's a promise of all that's coming. You know, there's a lot that we look forward to that we don't have yet, but it all has to do with the promise and the movement of where this is going. I put the term on their eschatology. That's a scary word. You know, you rarely say, what's your eschatological view? Uh, I remember I read a book a few years ago. It's called Eschatological Discipleship. It was a great book by Trevin Wax but probably a horrible title. Who's going to pick up a book, Eschatological? I would, but I'm a little weird in some ways. But that, that's not kind of a marketing thing, but lots of people are going to run out and get it. But eschaton, the Greek word eschaton just means end, last, final. Okay, So when we're talking about eschatology, the logos is a word about the end. Okay, so don't let that intimidate you. We're just talking, all the things we're talking about fits under that category. You have in Galatians 4, you remember the passage, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, made under the law, to come and redeem us. You know, and so it's already here, Ephesians 1.10, where he talks about he's going to gather all things together in Christ, and, and the fullness came when Christ came, when God sent his son. The day of the Lord, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 7 through 8. You know, it points forward to that. Uh, the end of the ages. You know, we see that uh, phrase being used, this age and the age to come. 
Okay, and so again, if we had time to go through this carefully, we lay all these passages out and look at them, but I want you to get not so much the detail, but to get the overview of what the scripture has to say about the last days. Okay, now along with that, we constantly are wrestling with the question, well, what about death? Facing death, what does the scripture say? You know, the, the grim reaper, you know, is a, a reality in all of our lives. You know, we've lost loved ones. We, you know, we face a crisis. We don't know what's ahead. None of us are going to live forever. And unless Christ comes back, we're going to go through that. And so what the scripture says is, again, this is controversial. What, how is man made up? Do we have a body, soul, and spirit? Are we just all one? Is it a dichotomy? Is it trichotomy? Is it monochotomy? And again, we won't go through all of that, but what we're convinced of is that the person, it's not like the real person is inside, the body is just a husk. If that were true, Jesus would not come in a body and would not be raised in a body. We are an embodied spirit, an embodied soul spirit. And what happens when the body dies, uh, uh, we, we sometimes, and I'll tell you, one of my pet peeves are people that take this and look at this as a great coronation, you know, a great advancement. You know, death is our, our you know, commencement into a better life. No Death is nobody's friend. It is an enemy. It's the last enemy, but it's been defeated by Christ. And so when the body dies, he didn't, that wasn't designed. It's, that's not a normal part of life. That's abnormal. But when that happens, that body is put in the grave, and that person, the soul spirit, goes to be with the Lord. You can read the first, uh, Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, particularly, as it sets that out. Now, one of the questions is the intermediate state. The intermediate state is the time between you die, you know, and you go to heaven, and until Christ comes back and there's the resurrection, do we have a body? Do we have an intermediate body? You know, are we without a body? And uh, we could have a big fight over this because, you know, lots of different opinions, and I want to say it doesn't matter that much. You know, God knows what he's doing. We know, because Paul said, I'd rather depart and be with Christ. I'd be better by far. You know, we know he said, you know, I don't want to put off the body. I want to put on my new heavenly body. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 sets that out. There is the return of Christ. We're going to look at this in a moment in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, I mean 1 Thessalonians 4. That Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, a number of things are going to happen. The pri one of the primary things is a resurrection of the body. So we'll, we'll come back to this in a second, but this, let me say this out. And then comes this eternal shalom. You know that forever we are going to have a glorified body. You know, no pain, no sickness. How many times have you had somebody that's gone to Revelation 21, 22 and to find comfort? You know, no separation, no pain, no sadness, no sorrow. Uh, and, and the end of this, we're going through the shadowlands now. But ultimately, when we get there, have you ever, I, I remember the first time that, uh, this was years ago, that I flew in an airplane. 
And I, you know, I never did that as a kid when I became a pastor. I was flying somewhere, and I forget where. I think it was Ohio. We left out of Kent, Akron. It was gloomy and dark, one of those rainy, gloomy days. And you know what happens when you get through the cloud cover? Just, you know, suddenly everything is blue. The sun is shining. And friends, that's the way it is. You know, right now, you know, we got the cloud cover, but one day that's going to part, and we're going to see, you know, the, the beauty and the glory. Passing through the clouds and seeing the blue sky and the sunshine doesn't begin to compare what it's going to be like toward the end. So, again, lots more needs to be said about this, but I, I just want you to see that death is not something that God designed for us to go through. You hear people say, well, death is a normal part of life. No, it is not. It's the result of sin and judgment. You know, and when we get a glorified body, it will never die. It's going to be like Jesus. Okay, let's press forward. Let's look at the Great Tribulation. Okay, we're in trouble here, right? Uh, the, the Bible has a lot to say about this in different places, and many will turn to the passage and say, well, uh, you know, we're not going to go through that. Uh, and and uh, the tribulation is a time of great trouble before the return of Christ, and particularly in the book of Revelation, you're going to see this set out. Now, your view of the tribulation can be pre-trib, and that simply means that Jesus is going to come back before the tribulation, or that, that the, the tribulation is going to be for, before his millennial reign. Or you can be mid-trib, that he's going to come three and a half years in the middle of the tribulation. Or you can be post-trib, and that is you believe he's going to come at the end of that seven-year period of time. Or you can believe in a partial uh, tribulation, and that is some of those are going to, you know, uh, uh, be taken and others are going to be left. Okay, question. Well, I've heard a comment. There's also another trip. It's pan-trib. However it pans out. Yes, actually, we're saving that for the millennium, okay? We're going to come to that in a second. I also have another description of that. And, and let me tell you, friends, don't get all bent out of shape over this. You know, look at the Word of God, and, 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 and I think one of the things that we struggle with is that the, the, the eschatological battles between pre-post-ah, the pre-mid, and so forth with the tribulation it's made us debaters trying to win an argument. Revelation is not given to us as debate fuel. It's given to prepare us to say, there are some bad times coming, and we need to trust God, and we need to depend on him. You know, and so we need, rather than have a fight over this, we need to have dialogues about this. How do you read this text of Scripture? How does this fit in? And we're not going to settle that question this morning. I will tell you, I'm a post-tribulationist. I think we're going to go through the tribulation, and then at the end, Christ is coming back. If somebody is a partial trib, I'm not going to fight with them about that. I'll pray for them that God will bring them to the truth ultimately. You know, and again, we all kind of, you know, we believe what we believe because we believe it's the truth. But we realize we don't know everything. And so what I want to say is to give plenty of room here. Invite dialogue and difference. I'd much rather talk to somebody in this area that has a different view than I do than somebody that agrees with me because it challenges me to think through that. Okay, uh, 
Let's talk about the return of the king. That really is the primary focus, okay? Uh, uh, Jesus is coming again. Uh, again, I think many of those old uh, songs that we used to sing. I want to ask you to turn to 1 Thessalonians. One of the challenges with developing an eschatological position is you have so many texts of Scripture spread out through Scripture, and the question is, how do you relate them to one another? Okay, And that's going to be the issue. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, I want you to look at, uh, at verse 13. Let me get my eyes on. I don't know if the print of my Bible keeps getting smaller for some reason. Okay, look at verse 13. And uh, this is such a great passage because it just kind of walks you through what does it look like when Jesus comes back. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Now, you understand he's not talking about the guy that dozes off in the sermon, okay? That's a euphemism for death. He's talking about that. And that's important to see because later on he's going to talk about those who are asleep and he's not going to mean dead. You know, so you need to pick out the nuance. That is recognizing and appreciating the semantic range of a word. In fact, I saw this the other day, the word run. Do you know how many different usages we have in the English word for run? Anybody want to take a guess? Anybody else dare to take a guess? 645. It's the, one of the most diverse words, and it covers, you know, is it your nose running? You know, are you running a race? Are you running an election? Are you running for off? You know, I mean, you, you just think of all the ways that we use that, and so we need to recognize that, that words have a range of meaning, and context is going to tell us. You know, the word fire. What does the word fire mean? Well, you don't know. Am I talking about a job you're going to be fired from? Am I talking about a gun that's going to be fired? Am I talking about a, a campfire where you're going to cook hot dogs or roast marshmallows and make s'mores? Okay, you need a context for that, and that gives us that. Okay, so what he's saying is we do not want you to be ignorant about those who've died, who've fallen asleep, or to grieve like the rest of the men who have no hope. Now, he's not saying you can't grieve. There is a legitimate place for grief, but you can't grieve as being hopeless, okay? It has to be saturated with hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Now, that's foundational. 1 Corinthians 15 sets that out. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep with him, okay? So all of those who have died... Their soul spirit is with Jesus, whether an intermediate body or not. We're not going to fight that. They're with Jesus. And when Jesus returns, what does this text say? God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own words, now Paul is quoting from Jesus, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the parousia, that's the word we talked about earlier, the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. Okay, you got the picture? Jesus is coming back. Those of us who are alive are going to be caught up with him. That's not going to precede the ones he brings with him. So Jesus is coming from heaven with all of those that are getting ready for the big day. 
They're going to put on their heavenly body like Jesus. That's what they're waiting for. And look what it says. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive were left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those bodies laying out there, they're going to be raised from the dead. Now, verse 17 is a, a tricky verse. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 15, it's going to say much the same thing. Uh, go back and, and check that. But what he's saying is that, that Jesus is coming, and those who are dead, whose bodies are in the grave, are going to be raised, those who are believers and still alive are going to be caught up with the Lord, and a twinkling in an eye, they're going to be changed and have a glorified body. Okay. Now the question is, what happens next? Well, that's going to distinguish between the various millennial views. There are those that believe that Jesus then takes them back to heaven for seven years in which the tribulation takes place, where they're having this great wedding feast up there. There are others, and I happen to be in that group, that believe that what he's describing is they're going to be raised and then they're going to accompany him as he goes to earth and he's going to set up his millennial kingdom. Okay, so hold your thoughts for a minute. We're going to get to that uh, and talk about that. But let's just walk through, uh, well, let me, let me go a little bit further and then we'll go back and look at uh, the, the statements there. After that, verse 17, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will be with the Lord forever. It doesn't tell us where we'll be with him forever, and how you connect other passages is going to answer it. Therefore, encourage each other. Don't fight over this. Encourage each other with these words. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they'll not escape. But now watch this. But brothers, you're not in the darkness so that this day should surprise you. This is the last day, the coming of Christ. shouldn't surprise you. You're all sons of light and sons of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep. Now, he's not talking about the dead. He's talking about people walking around that are in a fog. Okay? Let us be alert and self-controlled for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and hope of salvation as a helmet. We have to live in light of this hope. That's what he's saying. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's the key verse for the pre-tribs that say, well, we're not going to go through that. He said, we're not going to suffer wrath. And the others say, well, it doesn't mean you're not going to go through it, but he's going to preserve you from destruction in the midst of that. You know, so again, there's room for both of those. Don't, don't jump you know, uh, at somebody because they have a different view. Then he says, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, alive or dead, we may live together with him. Don't you love that? Whether we're, our bodies are dead, we're living with him. 
or whether our body's alive, we're living with him. That's the whole point of it. You know, we're going to live together, therefore encourage one another and build up one another. And that's what's important to me. As we go through this session today, to, to not hammer somebody for a wrong or a different position, but let's build up one another. We need the encouragement. We're all facing what's ahead, and, and we, don't know, we don't know the end of it. So let me walk through the passage here. And if you have a comment or a question, raise your hand and we'll, we'll take that. The last trumpet and the loud command. You know, I, I grew up with a secret rapture. They're just going to, you know, slowly be taken out of here. And I say, well, what about the loud trumpet, you know, and the loud, I mean, the, the last trumpet and the loud command? How does that fit in? But that's how this begins. There's going to be something that's happening. You're going to see the coming of Christ like the, 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 uh, um, the thunder and the lightning from one end of heaven to the other. Jesus is going to come down from heaven. He said, we believe he died and he rose and he's in heaven, seated on the throne. He's coming back. Not the way he did the first time, born in a manger, in a humble way. He's coming back now. We're going to look at that in Revelation 19. King of kings and Lord of lords. He comes down from heaven. He brings his disembodied believers with him. They've been enjoying that fellowship there. And then what does it say? The bodies of believer are raised and united with their soul spirit. We call that glorification. Living believers are caught up in the air and instantly glorified without experiencing death. Go back to the only person we know about that was Elijah in the Old Testament and uh, uh, Enoch uh, as well, but that's not a common experience. And then all believers are perpetually with the Lord. Not sure exactly what that means. We'll have to go to other passages. But uh, let me take a minute to try to unfold this a bit. Okay, why isn't it going forward here? There we go. Well, what happens next? When Jesus comes down and raises them, and this simply states out the, the two options. He takes them back to heaven during the tribulation period. That's the pre-tribulational view. Or Jesus continues his ascent with earth and sets up a millennial kingdom. Okay, so that raises the question, what about the millennium? What does the Bible teach about the millennium? Well, we have premillennialism, and premillennialism says Jesus is going to come back before the millennium, but you have two very distinct branches, a premillennial, I mean a dispensational premillennialism. Many of you, I grew up in that, so I understand that in and out uh, uh, very well, and there are many of you here that have grown up, I in fact had a note from somebody saying, well, I was brought up in dispensationalism, you know, so I'm trying to sort this out. And then there's historic premillennialism. That's the, that's the position that I hold, and that is that uh, it's not going to be exactly as dispensational say but he's coming back before the tribulation. Then you have amillennialism, and we have some people in the church that are amill. And the amillennial says that there's not going to be any actual thousand-year period of time. In a sense, we're already there now, that Christ is reigning, the, the, the Satan is restricted, and so forth. And um, I remember when I was in Chattanooga, we had a pastor's group, and we took two or three sessions to walk through this. We had some that were amill, we had some that were pre-mill. 
And then there's post-mill. There, there's a real rise of post-millennialism today, and that view is that Jesus is going to come back after you know this kingdom has been established, and there's going to be real progress in this. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, and there's a number of contemporary guys that uh, uh, Doug Wilson, I think, fits in that category of being post-mill. And so there's this optimism. We're going to see the world change. Now, uh, here's our, what our friend talked about a moment ago, the pan mills. Okay, the pan mills are the ones that can't really figure it out, and they just say, you know what, it's all going to pan out in the end. You know, and more people belong to that, but I came up with another category. <laughs> These are the windmills. You know what the windmills are? <laughs> These are the ones that keep changing position depending the last book, the last conference, the last person they talked to. So, you know, they know they've been right because at some point they believed every view because they've gone to these different conferences. Okay? And friends, listen. Rather than fight over this, we can have some fun with this. You know, in every, each one of those, if we don't embrace the whole thing, there are the, each, uh, each position is attempted to be developed by looking at the text of Scripture. It's not that somebody just decided, I'm going to be an Amil and I want to find verses. They came to that because they've read the Scripture and they see them that way. That's where dialogue becomes so important, to sit down and have a dialogue and talk about those things. Okay? The book of Revelation, uh, how do we cover that in three minutes that we have left? Okay, we're going to try. Uh, Revelation is such a power. We, we need to have uh, do a series through Revelation uh, at some point. Uh, Jesus speaks to his church. The first three chapters, the letter to the seven churches, the, the candlestick, Jesus walking among the candlestick. Uh, Jesus speaks to his church. The vision of the exalted Christ, four and five, you know, uh, 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 what a beautiful picture, you know, of the Lamb. You know, uh, the, you know, here's John saying, you know, here's the scroll. Nobody's found worthy to open the scroll. I wept and wept. And then one of the elders said, don't weep. The line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. He's able to take it and open the seals. And what's the rest of the book of Revelation? You know, the opening, the unfolding of these things. Now the question becomes, are these sequential things? Are these recapitulations? Are telling the same story from different perspectives? And it's not simple to sort that out. Revelation is hard because there's so many references to the Old Testament and going back and bringing that in. But I love the part where Jesus opens the scroll. And essentially what he's doing is he's unfolding the future and what is going to happen. And that is ultimately not the revelation of the things. What is it? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. You know, that he's going to come fully into view. In Revelation 19, we can't read the passage. You remember the passage, the rider on the white horse. He has a name written that nobody knows, a sword proceeding out of his mouth. Uh, this is not sweet baby Jesus or little Jesus boy. This is king of kings and lord of lords. It's coming with his troops, and he puts down the rebellion. And uh, uh, there was a, a great story that I heard years ago that early on playing baseball, uh, the umpire, this was in New York City, got knocked out, uh, got hit by a ball. And so there was a, a, a professional boxer named McGurvey. 
And they asked him if he'd come down and call balls and strikes. And he said, yeah, he would do that. And he came down, and after the second or third batter, he called a strike, and the guy argued with him. He said, that's not a strike. And he said, yeah, it is. And he said, no, it's not. And he said, enough said. And he argued with him again, and he one punch, he knocked him out cold. And they called him Nuff Said McGurvey. He went on to, uh, you know, uh, 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 be a, a referee and umpire in that. And so that's essentially what Jesus is doing here. Nuff Said. You know, it's done. There's no more opposition. He simply, it's not like it's a big fight. He just quells them. He just overwhelms them with his power. Okay, understand, this is not like a tug of war. We don't know who's going to win. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's already winning. Revelation 19 tells us that. Revelation 20 is the most controversial section in the Bible. You know, is this actually a thousand-year reign, the millennial of Jesus Christ? Is that what's happening? I think it is. Others will disagree with that. But what a great passage of Scripture. Satan is bound. And then he's released, and then there's a rebellion, and then finally, uh, you know, Satan is thrown into the lake of fire with the beast and the false prophet. Um, We've got to go back to the beast and false prophet sometime. That's a fun thing to look at. But Satan is released to enlist the people to make one final assault against Christ the King, and he's defeated. And then what do you have? You have the great white throne judgment. And listen, no one is going to decide not to show up for the great white throne judgment. Saying, I'm not going to be subject to this. You know, everyone, they're going to stand before God, and they're going to be judged, and either it's going to be an eternity of life, or it's going to be an eternal separation uh, in, in hell. Well, believers are fully glorified, and they're prepared for the grand finale. Let me read just a couple of these verses from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride to be beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he let me put my eyes on, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What's he describing? Everything that's been promised from the beginning. This isn't the fulfillment. This is the consummation. And he's going to go on to describe all that that means. The, you know, the, the city of gold, the, you know, the, 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 the pearly gates, the, the jewels on the wall. All of those are a way that we can begin to get a picture of what this is like. And then in 22, the river of life flowing out and the fruits of the trees that every month produces something different. And then ultimately, in the end of 22, we have Jesus Christ saying, come. All you thirsty, come. You know, and, and, and here is the ultimate then. It's not going to just be, we've gone to heaven and forget the earth, throw it away. Jesus came to redeem the earth. 
It's a new heaven and a new earth, and somehow God is going to dwell there, and it's, it's going to be the, uh, the honeymoon, you know, the thing that we've been waiting for, the consummation of all of this, and then it is going to be endless joy. You know, it's going to be, we're going to be with the Lord. We're going to be, I believe we're going to be walking on the face of this earth, a new heaven and a new earth with God's presence and Christ's presence and all of those who've gone before us raised. How do you begin to explain that? You know, it's better than I know how to begin to explain that to you. And it's not worth fighting over. You know, it's not worth, you know, zapping somebody because they have a different view here or there. Boy, there is lots of room for us to think about this and to encourage one another about this. Okay? It's not a hammer to whack people down, you know? It, it's like you've gone to the carnival and you've done the whack-a-mole, you know, and you whack-a-mole here and one pops up here. And you and so often, that's what eschatology is, it's a game of whack-a-mole. You know, somebody sticks their head up, new book, pop that one down. You hear this guy preach, whack, pop that one down. And, you know, all you're doing is whacking down moles. No, instead, you know, we need to encourage one another. We're not in the darkness. We don't know exactly the day that he's coming back. Only God knows that. But we do know for uh, certainty that we have a hope. And the hope is that what God promised, he's going to complete. And he's going to bring it to consummation and fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And friends, let me tell you, our lives would be so much richer if we'd spend less time watching all the newscasts, you know, with all the bad stuff that is happening, and us beginning to feel like God's losing, you know, the Christians are going to be silenced, nothing's going to happen. Read the book of Revelation. Yeah, there's going to be some awful stuff that happens, but that's only a backdrop for Jesus Christ coming back in power and in great glory. Friends, that is our hope. We need to live daily with that hope in Jesus Christ. And that has the impact of shaping our lives in such a positive, constructive way. So with that, uh, our, our time is gone. I actually had a, uh, a, uh, a song to play at the end, but I am you know, past time. But I think we should transgress that. It's the last, what are they going to do, fire me now? It's the last class. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to that. Uh, this is one of my favorite uh, songs that summarize this. If you have to leave, you go ahead and desert us, and uh, God will deal with you. But. Oops, I'm sorry. That's a song killed. Yeah, he wrote that. Mm. Can you hear that all right? That's what we've been talking about. We do.
Yep. Let's pray together. He is worthy. Father, we bow before you this morning. Lord, thank you for the time that we have had to work through uh, the storyline of the Bible. And we see it all begins with the promise in Genesis 3 
and we find its consummation in the lion of the tribe of Judah taking the scroll and opening its seals and ultimately coming back as the rider on the white horse with all power and all glory manifesting himself and enjoying then a presence with his people that we even only dream about. Father, I pray that our travel through the scripture will not just be more information to tuck in our head, but Lord, that it would be transforming and changing us to be the kind of people that live in the light of this drama, to realize we are on a real stage and we have a real opportunity to give witness in a dark world to our hope for what is ahead. So Lord, help us to live in the light of this great consummation that Jesus Christ is coming again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just one final quick word. If there are evaluation sheets on both things as you leave, I'd love to get your response to the class. You can give it to me. You can leave it at the Welcome Center. But thank you all for being here. It's been a delight to have you as part of our class for the last 12, 14 weeks, whatever it is. Lord's blessings. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. I don't know if I can. I need gloves you can touch to it, touch it. It won't hurt you. <laughs> I don't. We haven't gotten any of your emails, so I think what happened is we have three L's in our Phillips okay. instead of two, and it must have gotten. Oh I, I would no. think you would have copied and pasted it, but I haven't gotten any of them. Well, better to know that weeks ago I could have yeah, corrected yeah. it. Thank I kept you. thinking, okay, I haven't got any, but I think that's probably what the problem is, but yeah. it's okay. Maybe yeah. we'll catch it. Well, I'll, I'll go back and check that because I'd like to do kind of a follow-up note to everybody just thanking them for being part of the class. Well, you know, we, we don't know yet everything. Uh, they, uh, they were concerned that because this is such a, a, uh, an aggressive cancer, they wanted to immediately to get her in, and they put her on some medications to, you know, kind of protect her. And they found out her blood is really stable at this point, and so they let her go home. You know, so that thrilled her. But now it will be outpatient basis. We have a meeting on Tuesday. I think four different meetings with different doctors, and then she has a PET scan on Friday, and they're waiting for more results to decide, okay, what are the options for us? You know, right, so that right. we need wisdom to know, you know, what to do. Well, thank you. We really appreciate that. kind of gut-wrenching when we saw that, you know. Mm. But, you know, it's what God has. So. Yeah. Anyway, it's hard. It's the hardest. It is. It is to be sure, Thank you for your concern. Yes. Thank you so much. I came late to your class. I just moved here from Texas oh. on the 9th, and I'm wondering if I could get the notes from you. Sure can. I And I, I've seen sermon audio, um, and I saw... It appears there's six classes on there that I've found. Yeah, the, most of the classes are there. Sometimes we get it taped right or something. And uh, but I'll be glad to uh, I'll be glad to send you the notes because each week the slides that are up there I send to everybody. So oh, they that's can go wonderful. Uh, it would save me a lot of note taking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I don't know how you put this together, but this is a, a, something I've been trying to do on my own to uh, do a high level overview. 
And I just think it was really incredible just what I heard. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's a lot that. of work. Now, so. are you Joe Banks' mother-in-law? Yes, I okay. am. Okay, well, yes. David, uh, in fact, uh, this is Tim. Hi, uh, hi Tim, Tim and David and I were yes, really uh -huh. good friends. David Weimar, that you watched. Yeah, oh, yes, from. isn't and that a miraculous yeah, thing? Yeah, he told me about that. He, you know, it's like he called me and said, we decided we're going to retire, we're going to sell our house, we're going to move to Tennessee, and the next day they sold their house, and I said, maybe you might want to get a place over there before you sell it. No, we're just going to go over there and... A couple days later, they had a house there, and they wow. already moved. It was like boom, boom, boom. In fact, Tim didn't even know. Uh, it happened so quick. Yeah. yeah. Same with me. I, I closed on my house in Texas on April 11th, and I walked out of the title office at 11.03, or I was driving out of the parking lot because I looked. I got home, uh, spotted a couple of my neighbors, told them I'd closed on my house, and my realtor dropped by, so I was outside on the sidewalk talking to the three of them for about 45 minutes. I walk into the garage, start into my laundry room, and my phone pings, and there's two Zillow uh, properties, and I, I have no idea how Zillow ever got set up on my huh. phone to right. notify me, but I've been researching Santerra properties, and <laughs> didn't dream one would pop up. I wanted one 1,500 square feet. It, had, it showed it was active on MLS for one hour. So literally, if that's true, it, it popped on the market the minute I closed. Uh, and it's just unbelievable. Oh God, and God has shown me favor through the whole... It makes you think there's a God who's in control of things. There's right? absolutely <laughs> no doubt. And I, I was doubting. Uh, my husband died about 20 months ago. So oh, wow. it's been a time of great transition. Uh, but, boy, he's been, God's been faithful. Real quick testimony. I was wanting to move to... Uh, Florida, back down to Florida, and I had a place, a deposit put on it, and sought wisdom from uh, a brother here at church, and they said pray about it more, and I prayed about it, and I got a no, and two weeks later that hurricane hit right where I was going to move, wow. so God just works in those good... It, it, so he kept you away and he brought you here. Yeah. So and I just, I just found out yesterday, a lady from my HOA came and talked to me, and what I learned is the one I had wanted a particular style, and that's one style of villas that in, on the property. But what I learned is that the one I got is standalone. The others are townhouses, and my HOA dues per month are 102 versus 250 something in the other. Wow. So God even protected me wow. from that. He gave me everything, and my real estate agent, who's a Christian, is she's told her staff, you know that. Uh, clients don't always get everything they want except the ones in Texas did. <laughs> That's pretty powerful testimony. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the Lord knows I'm a blabbermouth, so yeah, yeah. I told him I'll blab about it wherever I go. That's right. Amen. <laughs> so, Amen. Well, yeah. I, I felt you taking notes beside me, and Gary, what he'll send over to you, it'd be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to yeah. do that in several emails That's because no they're too large to send all together. Sure. I can send two or three at a time. That I'll see what good. I can fit. But I will send them to you from the beginning. Thank you so much, because I will study that. Yeah. That's exactly what I've been hungering for. And I just finished Revelation with my next-door neighbors oh, wow. in Texas. And just the, the three of us, they did it just for me to help me through my grief. Uh, uh, so yeah. this was timely from that Amen. aspect, Praise too. Praise the Lord. So thank you Well, it's great much. to meet you, Diane. And who who is Who are you going through the medical issues with? Is my that your wife. wife. My wife, and Anne. Her, her name is Anne? Yes. How can I pray for you? Well, just uh, 
she was diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia. There's only like 1% of the people that have this. And so now we're still in the testing mode to get all the lab results back to know what treatments there can be, what, you know, what are mm -hmm. the options. And mm -hmm. so right now we need two things. We need good information back, you know, so that the, the, the pathology reports and stuff are going to be accurate. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and with that good advice from the medical people and then wisdom on our side to know what path do we want to go yeah. down here. Yeah. Uh, so. And is it an A N N or with A N N? No okay. E. No E. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, thanks. Pleasure Diane. talking with you. Nice to meeting you. you. Yeah. Tim, what's your last name? Miller. Miller. Yeah. And I'm Keys K E Y S Diane. Okay. With one Diane. Good. Well, I will. I will get Thank these you. to you. It may not be today, but in no the next worries. day or two. Okay. No worries. I'll be praying. Thank you. Allergy season.